Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I am Aminatu So. And I'm Anne Friedman. On this week's agenda, we are talking about babies and binaries, namely the rise and fall of gender reveal parties and some questions about the divide that can open up between two friends when one becomes a parent and one does not. Hi, Ann Friedman. Hello, hello. How's it going? We're both okay. I feel like that is the fairest, the fairest assessment. We're, we're, we're here. <laughs> we're here. We're still here. <laughs> um, the, that's great. The most you can hope for some weeks, truly. It's true. It's true. I have like um, summer party mosquito bite situation happening because... I always forget to wear bug spray in the summer. And also I've been kind of, like, do you know this lie? All the people who say that like skin so soft is good for mosquitoes. I don't think that's true. I, I don't believe that for a second. I use this stuff called bug soother that I purchase in a small town in Iowa or from this like small town manufacturer in Iowa that I love. And it smells very good and is all natural and it is not 100% like no mosquito bites, but it dramatically reduces the ones I get. And mosquitoes love to eat me. I know. I was like this or I'm just going to have to start taking baths in DEET. Already don't leave here alive. So might as well die from the DEET. You know, it's bad. has anyone recommended to you patio oil? Someone recommended this to me no. recently. What's patio oil? Oh, so you know that brand Zhao? They make like a like a refresh. Like, of a kind sells the it. Refresher the refresher that doesn't refresh? Yes. Listen, the refresher that doesn't refresh? It's basically me. just a rubbing alcohol. It is like a natural, like I keep it in the glove box for a post-thrifting hand refresh. Like it is not like a Purell. It's for people who are like, I kind of want to clean my hands without water, but I don't want to play the Purell game. Anyway, they make this thing called patio oil that is a body oil, for lack of a better word, that is mosquito unfriendly and i would say it is again it's not like deet level effective but like if you're going to slather your body in something and you want less mosquito bites i've heard it recommended but i have not tried it okay i'm gonna look into this a bug soothers and a patio oil okay yes bug soother from columbus junction <laughs> iowa patio from wherever the hell jow is from <laughs> <laughs> the home the home of jow home of jow well Speaking of Jow, not speaking of Jow at all. I love that we're just like mentioning a brand for free. This is how you know everything is not capitalism here. Um, but uh, speaking of capitalism, we're going on tour. Yes, this fall. We are going to Detroit, Denver, Austin, Houston, Texas, and and what's the fifth city we're going to? Toronto. Yes, <laughs> my girl said it right. <laughs> You can buy tickets at callyourgirlfriend.com slash tour. And uh, we're really excited to like meet you and your besties. So uh, come meet us. Hello. Hello. It is going to be so fun. The other big announcement we have for you today is that there is fresh, fresh merch in the CYG shop. Some items are selling out already and we are moving to restock them because this stuff is so cute. Uh, it includes a denim cap that says the scam is structural, 
which is really like the only message about scammers that I want to publicly put on my body and endorse. And then we have some really cute new Shine Theory merch, a t-shirt for the first time ever and a Shine Theory Nalgene water bottle that is like the perfect combo of woman or person who likes to stay hydrated and also practices Shine Theory, which like a core demo for us, well hydrated people who practice Shine Theory. Nalgene, I'm gonna have to dig out my carabiner. I love this. (laughs) (laughs) Call your girl, call your carabiner. Like, (laughs) oh my God, that was such a moment in college. It's like you had the carabiner, you had the Nalgene, you like put it all, maybe just at my college, but it was like a, it was definitely a moment. I did not have one. I think I deemed it kind of like too sporty, which is like, LOL. No one is like nothing about hydration is too sporty. Everyone should be doing it. But it was it was a moment. Only you. You're like water sports. Yeah. But, you know, now now jeans are like that interesting intersection of like it's sporty people. It's like missionaries. It's like (laughs) people who love to rock climb. It's just, you know, Well, that is definitely the Texas perspective. (laughs) (laughs) hydration is for everyone please if you see a missionary they are wearing chacos and they have a nalgene (laughs) with a carabiner tied to something what about peace corps same crossover right (laughs) listen peace corps is just missionary work for another kind of god it's the same line of work Okay, well, get in on Nalgene culture if you want to with with the Shine Theory one. Um, I I love Nalgene culture. Are you kidding me? Hydration is lit. It's for everyone. Listen, we are trying. I am, I mean, I am obviously going to drink out of mine. So I don't even know, like, this is, this was a past point of view I'm talking about. My present is fully embracing the Nalgene. Anyway, and you can. I'm so excited about it. You can get all this stuff at shopcyg.com. Shopcyg.com. Today is a packed day, so let me hit you with my favorite, like, recent news. You know those gender reveal parties that, like, mainstream terrible people have? Gender reveal being, like, someone is pregnant and they have gotten a test done so they know the gender of, like, the fetus inside them and they have a party to announce the the chromosomes of this fetus. Right. Yeah. And it's very upsetting because, one... How lame. And two, how problematic. This is crazy. You know? So, like, I will say, I went through a phase where I watch a lot of them online because they're very ornate. And I'm like, who are these people who are, this is, this is not great. Sorry, you watched gender reveal parties, like, on YouTube? Yes, and because gender reveal fails are amazing when you're high. It's just, like, so, you know, like, people love to share the ones that they think went right. But remember those huge fires in Arizona started by a gender reveal fail. Like this, like this has like consequences. So anyway, it sounds like crimes. This is what it sounds like. It's true. And the other thing that you also notice all the time when you watch them on YouTube is that there is a palpable disappointment a lot of times when a girl is announced. (gasps) What? Yes. Like a lot of dads like get mad. Like that's like an entire genre of uh, like gender reveal. The idea is fully demented. The reason I'm excited about this news I'm going to share with you is that one, uh, somebody invented gender reveals. Like this is like fairly, it's like promposals. It's like they've only gotten more ornate, but like it started somewhere. You're telling me there's a typhoid Mary of gender reveals? (laughs) There, there's a typhoid Mary of gender reveals. 
the woman who invented gender reveals rather like she popularized them to be to be clear because i think that people have had gender reveals in some way shape or form forever she's a blogger she was on this like interview with npr where she was talking about kind of how her thing started you know she had a gender reveal party for her own kid and it was just like a cake that was filled with pink icing so that the family could like find out all, everybody together they were having a girl and the NPR interview is like really illuminating because you know she's she's very much like oh this was a very innocent thing like I like to throw parties and she didn't think that she was like going to catalyze an entire industry and culture that just like essentially like subjugates children to like dehumanizing binaries before they escape the womb. So she had had like her gender reveal party, the ones like for her daughter in 2008. So this trend has been around in like a very visible way for a long time. They're, they're everywhere. Like there was even one on Blackish. It's like, why would you do that? But anyway... She like very recently explained in a Facebook post that she had, quote, a lot of mixed feelings about, quote, her random contribution to culture. You know, she thinks that the whole trend is absurd and it's really painful. The article that was picked up from her like 2008, like doing this was, you know, was published in like Bump magazine, Ugh, was framed and, you know, like it was framed in her house. And now, you know, like 10 years in, she's just like, this is not amazing. And that, I love like a follow-up. Like I love a trend story follow-up. And then the plot twist of the whole thing, I'm just going to read it. She says, plot twist, the world's first gender reveal party baby is a girl who wears suits. So I love this. I love this plot twist so much. I love that her... Uh, her child is growing up in a home where they are just letting, um, you know, they're just letting the kid be uh, be a kid and express themselves however they want. But this trend has been like very damaging. Yeah. I mean, I also appreciate, too, um, she has said a few things about the way that her child has really been a teacher for her in understanding the nuances of gender and the non-binary nature of gender. And that is what inspired her to sort of step away from not really like disavow, but basically say like, oh, you know, as a pioneer of this trend, I've really thought about it harder and maybe you should too. And I'm, I, I appreciate that as well. I mean, like the, as we kind of framed this, it's like a lot of people who are, um, I would say critical thinkers about gender are like, oh my God, why are people out here having gender reveal parties? Um, and I just love that it's like the call is coming from inside the house. The One of the people who really had kind of um, popularized like this as a, like a social thing you do as like an aesthetic, like the whole like what is inside the cake or whatever, which is also like on a metaphorical level. I'm just like, ugh, gender wise, we don't care what's inside the cake. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we, mm -hmm. we care how everyone chooses to ice it themselves once they're like, you know, a fully formed being in the world. I appreciate that someone who is, who was sort of embracing this as a trend is now able to be critical of it because in many ways, I think that's more powerful than maybe someone like you and me who would have been, you know, right out of the gate dismissive of a practice like this. You know, sometimes like uh, the messenger matters is what I'm trying to say. And I think that her kid sounds awesome. You're so right. Her kid sounds awesome. I say this is someone without children, but I am deeply inspired by kids who are just themselves. I'm like, thank you. Like we are all, let the babies like be the teachers. Yes. Um, and I want to come out with this information. Like I obviously do not believe in uh, gender reveals, but you know that if I have a child, we are having a Zodiac reveal for sure. Oh my God. 
I I'm like I want the world to know. I was like, if it's a Gemini baby, we are burning the house down. Okay, can I um, can I ask a question about that? As someone who tell is me. like, you know, not really on team astrology, is that like I thought that in order to have a full understanding of what's happening astrologically, like you need to know a birth time. So like how could you have a zodiac reveal when the child is still in utero? Well, you know some of their astrological profiles. So you need the birth time to, uh, I mean, technically, like, the child has to be born because if they're born on a day that's, like, a cusp, it's, like, it doesn't matter. Um, but generally, like, you would know. I mean, I'm going to wait for the baby to be born, and then we'll have, like, a whole thing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I, like- I just think that everybody in their bios should have their sign. I just think that that's the, you know, millennial culture is just that. It's like asking your parents what time you were born. So um, for nefarious purposes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Or if you're like me, your mom texts you every year at the exact time that you came out of oh, her badge. Yeah. <laughs> and your mom is the best. Uh, and if she misses it, she's like, I thought of you today at 3.43 p.m. <laughs> uh, good thing you weren't born at 3.43 a.m. <laughs> Wait, I mean, listen, I, I feel like, you know, the fact that it's a comfortable late afternoon time is one reason why I always get the text. But um, I it's funny. I'm like, OK, so what are the other things? I'm like, what would I actually care about as a reveal party? I mean, I am always interested in asking my friends who are parents like what what is your kid into this week because like the rapid turnover in interest for children is something that I love I'm like okay like what is this what is this like moments obsession I am way more interested in that than like something that is supposedly predetermined I'm much more interested in like making a story out of the tiny little nuggets of info that I have about this developing human it's true it's true it's true but um you know shout out to the babies may they keep teaching us oh my god shout out to the babies uh we (laughs) have we ever really talked about children I feel like there's some guests on this podcast have told anecdotes either about their childhood or about their experiences becoming parents or having a partner become a parent, things like that. I, I don't feel like we have ever substantively tackled questions of being adjacent to children who are growing up on this show. It's hard because I'm the child I know. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> I talk about myself a lot. Oh, please. If children were all as capable as you, I would have like 20 already. Okay. Like this is like, you cannot even play with that. No, you know, like we, I don't think we have like tackled kids like in a real way on this podcast. I mean, for like obvious reasons, right? Like we don't have kids and uh, it's not great to like talk about other people's kids on your podcast. It's it's true. um, It's true. We have a lot of like really cool kids in our lives. Like I have to say. I mean, I have recently hit a very palpable tipping point that a friend of mine refers to as the going out of business sale, where like many, many of my peers are rushing to have kids before a, you know, perceived window of biological opportunity closes. I'm sure that window is different lengths for every body. But yeah, like I think at at the current moment, there are eight different people in my life who have either given birth within the past year or are currently pregnant. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I... It is. It's a lot. I think for me, it's interesting. It's like it happens in waves, you know. And so I'm at the wave where because a lot of my like high school friends have kids. And the last year has been like a lot of the call, like my very close college friends had kids. 
in like one year, many babies were born. And I was like, oh yeah, this wave is like, this is real. This is like very, it's very, very, very real. It's also great because it means that I only have to keep up with like a one kind of present. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, we are in zero to three right now. We're in zero to three. I'm like, I can do 10 to 13 and I can do zero to three. You have a six-year-old. It's going to be hard for me. Oh my god! I it's funny because I was uh, I was talking to a friend recently um, who also keeps a gift drawer at their house. Like, are you do are you a gift drawer person? And I have a gift drawer specifically for children. I'm like a witch in a like Norwegian tale. <laughs> okay, so this is where I was heading with this. Whereas like my gift drawer used to be like a lot of candles I would buy on sale or it would be like, oh, when you see something really cute and you're like, this isn't for me, but like the right person will present itself. I'm just going to like buy it. Or, you know, I thrift something that I'm like, this item cannot be passed up. Like that's kind of, it used to be 100% that. And then- I have greatly benefited from your, I thrifted something for someone. And now I'm like, I'm sad about where this tale is going. Tell me. Oh no. I mean, the tale is that the, uh, the real estate in the gift drawer is a lot of, a lot of things for babies now. A lot of, for a lot of zero to three uh, gifts, I got to say. And I'm fine with that. But I'm like, I really, there are these very tangible markers in my life right now in terms of my community and the people I care about where I'm just like, wow, babies are part of that world now in a real way. (laughs) I know. It's like one minute we're out here making mistakes. And then next thing you know, there's like children. And I'm like, we got to grow up. And they're not even my kids. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. It's really uh, it's really interesting. I like it. I have to say, I like it. I have very mixed feelings about it. I think not mixed feelings in the sense of how do I directly feel about my friends' children? All of the ones that are old enough to like focus their eyes like more than a foot, I like them, no problem. You know, when they're really really little, I am agnostic. But it's more just like I feel like there's a little there's a temptation that I think is maybe enforced culturally that is not just coming from within to sort of segregate into like team kids and team no kids and specifically like team never having kids and like team on the path to have kids. I hear this kind of subtly referenced from people who would fit both of those descriptions in my life. And um, it always makes me a little bit sad. Like I know I've talked a lot about friends who have had kids fairly recently or who are currently pregnant who feel like, sad about feeling like they're joining a new team like no one wants to feel like they're leaving a community or like joining a new one if they love the people in their lives and so I haven't fully articulated where it's coming from or anything but I do see this binary happening in really subtle ways in my social world and I don't like it I mean I would say that it's not subtle at all actually it's um it's (laughs) it is like it's quite glaring and as we discussed at the top of the hour uh the binary is dumb. So don't be doing binaries. For me, at least, it comes from a societal inability generally to just people to like talk about what they want and need. And so it is much easier to have kind of your your views about like family and children or whatever, like, you know, like keep that very privately while making like bold pronouncements about what you think or you want without really like interrogating them out loud. I just think that like that stuff is hard, right? It's like there is a lot of societal pressure around having children and family. It is considered like a marker of adulthood, right? In a way that is kind of dumb. But at the same time, it's like people who want children, especially women who want children, you shouldn't like feel ashamed about that. Having children is great. Like having a family is lit. Like organizing your family however you want to. Where I chafe at it, it's when 
you know, like when people are told this is the only way to be an adult or this is the only way to like, there are only, there's only like one kind of way to have a family or whatever. I'm like, this is all stupid. Also, a lot of people are child free on purpose. And that is also a perfectly valid way to live your life. I just wish that we had more communication around what it means to have or not to have or to want or not to want children in our communities in ways that are actually acknowledged that it's okay to talk about these things and it also has implications for your communities, whether you have or not have children. I'm thinking a lot about my the year that I got my hysterectomy is probably the year that most of my friends had children. And that was like very uh, like that was like like a, a kind of emotional whiplash that I had not anticipated. Like one friend asked me like very specifically, like said, hey, like, what does this feel like for you? And I thought that was like an incredible kindness. Everybody else was kind of tiptoeing around it without like actually saying anything to me. And with this friend, it's like I remember the day so clearly and I remember thinking like, yes, you like saying this to me is so much more important than how I actually feel because now we have a new line of communication about a thing that, you know, is maybe hard or maybe not hard for me. I think that communication is such like the right way to think about this issue because a lot of the negative aspects around like drawing a clear boundary come from ideas about assumptions about how other people's lives are if they are dealing with a really different set of challenges. And I think like your friend being able to say like, I am not only thinking about my own experience this year or like this big change I'm undergoing, but I'm like seeing and respecting that you are also experiencing something really big this year and I'm just going to ask you about it to me is like the heart of it. It's like, you know, being able to kind of stay in that dialogue and keep things complicated rather than kind of assuming, oh, like your life is super easy because of X, Y, Z, or you don't feel any kind of conflict Mm -hmm. because you've decided, you know, this other thing. I think like any place where people are feeling some tenderness or insecurity themselves, it becomes, and I see this with myself, very easy to translate that into assumptions about how friends who have made a different choice or who are living a different kind of life are feeling about that. Right. I like I'm telling you, I think about that question all the time because I think it is the most important question anybody has asked me in the last two years. It's also the kind of thing where I feel that everybody feels like grass is greener on the other side. Yes. And I very and I very much fall on the like, man, the human life is just hard. It's like <laughs> breathing oxygen and being a conscious person and trying to have relationships with people of any kind I'm like that shit is hard everybody's life is hard in some way shape or form but I also you know like a thing that frustrates me a lot is seeing the ways that we police each other's choices and sometimes we do that in very inadvertent kind of ways I watch my my mom friends for example be people who are I see that choice and I'm like wow this is hard this is a hard choice that you were making like you are like pregnancy is hard on the body Pregnancy is hard on the career. Pregnancy is hard on your own self. It's a stage of life that some people have to go through in order to have children, right? Like you can have children in every kind of configuration. But I watch that. And then I also watch society tell them like, yes, like this is the hardest job that anybody will ever have. And this is the thing that you should do. And yet like nobody provides them any support. Mm -hmm. You know, like there is in the United States, there is no support for mothers. I feel very confident like (laughs) saying that as like a bold statement. There's negative support. It's like adversarial. It's adversarial. It's not even just not support. It's like actively making things harder for parents. Yeah. 
we're all living in the world like, oh yeah, like women have been doing this for like a millennia, so it's fine. And I was like, no, actually, it's not fine. It's not fine that pregnancy is hard on women's bodies and puts women's lives in danger, particularly uh, black women and women of color. It is not okay that once you have children, there is a financial burden on you to like find someone to like take care of your kids so you can go back to work. It's not okay that we live in a society that tells parents that these are the choices that they have to make and then doesn't provide them any kind of like a real like roadmap for like, how do you do that? And yet like we're all doing this. And so I think that it just really reinforces to me this idea that like to be a parent means that you have to suffer for your children, you know? And I'm like, no, like the government could get involved and some of this shit, like we could figure it out. Right. And also like I watch other people who really want children and cannot figure out a way to like organize their lives in a, you know, like there are no policies that would like help them do that. And then there are also the people who have a hard time having children because of infertility. And we, you know, like we like shame them and we ostracize them. And it's such a journey that you have to go through by yourself. And all of that to me is it's connected in some way where I was like, wow, like we, we really reinforce this message that family is important, but we don't provide any support for like creating your family. Yeah, I remember a conversation several years ago now with someone who I kind of knew professionally, but at the time, I think she had just had her second child. And I forget how we got on the subject of judgment, judgment of parents, but also people who are parents judging each other, like this this kind of whole circle that we're talking about now. And she made this comment where she was like, yeah, like people who are in an intense identity formation process are often both very defensive and quickly to judge others. And I was like, I I think about that a lot, um, not just in terms of people who are newly identifying as parents or perhaps want to identify as parents and like haven't been able to actualize that, but also people who are like newly identifying as not going to be parents in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, And and whatever whatever that identity might be, like this is one that... um, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes associated with, there's a lot of expectations associated with whatever it is. And I don't know, I guess there's something about that frame that really, really helped me of understand that um, this is where a lot of that, that judgment comes from because there's, there's no support for any of it. Yeah, you know, and I also think that like, there's also like, I feel we don't have grace for ourselves and grace for each other because you can have all of this like intellectual, uh, stimulation and feeling about your ideas about family and what you want to do but the truth is that it just like it just hits differently on an emotional level Mm -hmm. and also people are allowed to change their minds you know like but you could be someone who didn't necessarily want to have kids or you were ambivalent about it and then you want them you can be someone who has children and feels very 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 conflicted about it you can be someone who who has kids and actually like you hate it right there's like that's not a thing that you can judge people for. It's actually going through the experience is very different than uh, intellectualizing the experience. And also as human beings, like our circumstances change, like people change their minds all the time and people are challenged in different ways by choices that they have made. Mm. And so the idea of just, you know, judging people one way or another, or even judging yourself, it's just, you know, it's not realistic. (laughs) Um, And it just, It's such a, I don't know, it's like I feel that sometimes like the kids conversation can really be the third rail of the subway. You know, it's like the, do you want them? Do you have them? Like, where are your kids going to school? Like, what's the, you know, like, what do you mean you don't want them? Like, oh, I'm so sorry, you can't have them. There's so many, 
like we're all generally like smart, compassionate people, but I have really seen it devolve to like a very bad place when everybody goes to their basest instinct, like in this in this place. Ugh. Well, let's take a little break. And then when we come back, we're going to answer a question that relates to all of this stuff and friendship and um, the chasm that can open up between two close friends when one of them finds themselves with a partner and a kid. Dear Aminatu and Anne, here's a friendship dilemma I'd really like to hear your thoughts on in a future episode if you might consider exploring it. I think this is a common challenge for many people. Basically, how to best continue strong friendships between single and newly partnered friends and between non-parenting and parenting friends. My experience is that that chasm can open up between two close friends when one finds a partner and or has a baby. I'm a 37-year-old woman. I desperately want to find a partner and have kids, and I am dating, but I haven't found my partner yet. The friendship dilemma is between me and my friend. She and I met in our early 20s right after college when we both moved here and were inseparable for over 10 years. We lived together, shared everything, were each other's plus one to everything, and were basically platonically married. I bet a lot of people hearing the story assume that our relationship wasn't truly platonic, but it actually was. Then a few years ago, she met her partner, they moved in together, got married, and had a baby, and things changed a whole lot between her and me. Of course, I am very, very happy for her, and I'm truly so glad she found her partner, and at the same time, I'm really struggling to navigate the situation. I'm still grieving the loss of our extremely close friendship. In many ways, it was like a breakup. I feel like I was replaced by her partner. I guess that was bound to happen when either she or I found a romantic partner. Sometimes I find it really hard to listen to her talk about her husband and baby because I'm so sad I haven't yet found my partner and had a baby. Yes, I do realize that I could raise a child without first finding a partner. I am just starting to explore that possibility. Good for you. (laughs) My friend and her husband are trying to get pregnant again, and of course I want that for them because that is what they want for themselves. And at the same time, I'm afraid of the moment when she tells me she's pregnant and I've had to act, and I have to act really excited as if I'm not, also deeply sad that I am not pregnant and feel very far away from that life. It's not just an issue with this friend. For example, I also find it hard not to be invited to getaway weekends with with her and other friends, where a few years ago I was invited to such getaway weekends because these are now getaway weekends for couples and their kids. My friend and I have talked about this occasionally, but it's very hard to talk about. I think we both are sad that we're not nearly as close as we used to be. I don't really even have language for this. How do I fully describe the problem? I would say that it's a struggle that she and I are trying to be friends across different stages of life where she is partnered and a parent and I'm not yet but want to be. But I don't really like that wording. Stages of life implies that there's a linear sequence and everyone go and everyone goes along that same path, which of course isn't true. The best wording I've come up with is that she and I are trying to be friends while currently doing very different things with our lives. Is there a term for this? 
I certainly don't mean for this to be all doom and gloom. I have a wonderful life. I'm healthy. I have a great job and a great family and lots of joy in my life. I have a truly amazing community of friends. And although many of the people I'm closest to live far away, and my friend and I still do love each other, I'm very grateful for all these things. And I understand that things change. That's life. But this is an ongoing struggle for me, and I don't really know what to do about it. I wish I knew of something to do differently to navigate it better. Oh, I have so much compassion for this person and so much love for the care and investment that both of these people are putting into their friendship. Just like on a baseline level, the fact that like they've tried to talk about it, the fact that they're both still there. Like I feel a lot of feelings about that. This is really hard. It's a it's a really hard one. And it's especially hard if you are trying to address it in many ways and you are not finding that something um, is taking it also feels incredibly relatable, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Like there's, like, there's a lot in here. There's a lot, a lot, a lot in here. Like the, you know, like the friend who finds a partner and then life is different. The friends who finds a partner and has a baby and now life is different. The component of like, oh, like you were in a, you know, you were in a group friendship with people. And now that they have children, like the weekends have become children's. And, you know, like the weekends have become ones that you are no longer invited to. And things like that. And... It's interesting. I think the thing that it's making me think about the most, like at least in my life, I have friends who are uh, partnered and are parents who never make me feel this way. And then I have friends who make me feel this way. It's really hard to put your finger on like, what is, why does it feel different in one case and not different in another case? Like, what's the thing that's actually the thing? It's not the fact that your friend has a partner, they have children. This person has like stated many times and I believe them that they're very happy for their friend, you know? And so it's not some sort of like a, oh, I'm just jealous. My friend is in a different stage of life. I think that it is very true that, you know, there are things that we say with our words and things that we say with our actions that make people feel alienated and uh, things that we do that don't. And so it's just, it seems impossible almost. I... That's exactly where I was going to go with this, because it's one thing to speak in high level terms like we are both living different kinds of lives right now. And it's another to really talk about some of the details like this letter writer does. She mentions those weekends, right? Like someone is making a choice. You know, her friend who is partnered presumably is making a choice to not invite her to getaway weekends as often. Or she has this note where she says, we were each other's plus ones to events all the time. And it's like, well, you know, just because your partner doesn't mean you have to take your romantic partner all the time as your plus one. Like you can still opt, you could still in theory opt to be your friend's plus one or bring a friend as a plus one, right? Like there are all these small choices that are contained within her letter. And I think like the problem that I run into when I think about this is less high level, we're doing different things and more like really granularly, we're doing different things. Like, um, and I think it can be helpful to be like, okay, you know, just because maybe the world expects me to bring my romantic partner as a plus one to my work event, why does it have to be that way? Right. Or just because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of digging that you can do beyond just the facts of, oh yeah, like I am now devoting more time to a romantic partner or a child. But like, I mean, I would really encourage the friend in this situation, for example, to think about more minor choices, like more everyday choices that she is making to maintain this friendship. And I think like it doesn't, you know, there is a certain level of awareness that when 
one person in a friendship or both people in a friendship go through a big shift, there could potentially be less time for each other. But it also doesn't have to be the case that there is a total breakdown of the everyday activities that made that friendship what it was. And I think being a little critical about that and saying like, we are actually not going to assume that just because socially speaking, the expectation is your husband is your plus one to everything. Like that's not enough. Like that's not okay. If you really want to invest in this friendship as a top tier life relationship, then you need to be treating it that way in terms of your planning and how you make time for it. And so I do find myself wondering if when they've talked about this, they've kind of talked about it at that specific level or whether they've just kind of lamented that things are different now, you know? Right. And I think that's what I was going to say about the part about like we talked about it. It's really hard to talk about. I that really that really tugged at my heart because I'm like, I, you know, the times where you try to talk to someone, you're like, I think we talked about it, but we can't quite figure it out. I think, you know, with something like this, you have to like push through the awkwardness and through the pain. It's not great. I hesitate to give this advice because I struggle with this as well. If your friendship with someone is going to end, you should probably try to do everything that you can to make sure that you like had it all out you know and so if it's already heading to a bad place the awkwardness of like hi I really want to in detail talk to you about how I feel bad that's not the thing that's going to end the friendship and so finding a way to push through the awkwardness it's like well you know if you've tried talking about it in person and that's not working then maybe write them an email or write them a letter you know, or or find another avenue for saying to them exactly what you told us in this letter, you know, because I think like sometimes that's the difference also it's well. Um, they don't quite know all of the details or they, um, you know, or there's not like a time to process it all together. But I do think like that my overwhelming feeling for this person who is writing in is to is to not feel ashamed about the way that you feel because that thing of like, I'm very happy for my friend, but they're at a life stage that I'm not at. That's true in a lot of scenarios. It's obviously like way more emotional, I think, when it involves children because it actually involves hormones. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make you a bad person to think that or like deficient in some way, shape or form. And it's a tough thing to hear, right? And it's a tough thing to feel. But I think that for the sake of all of our relationships, it's probably a good thing to hear. You can feel that something is not right with your friend, but you kind of cannot articulate what it is and hearing what the hard thing for them is sometimes I feel is the key to unlocking a lot of the the like the feelings about the hurt um but it's just you know this like this one is tough it's it's really it's really tough and it's really sad but I I always err on the side of over communicate even if um that's not what the other person wants to hear because at the end of the day you um you gotta do it for yourself yeah. And I think also, like, I like the way that this letter writer is critical of the wording stages of life, <laughs> implying that there is mm -hmm. a progression. I really think about problems like this as going both ways and therefore the solution going both ways. It's like there is now um, things that you were once very aligned on or had in common, you don't have in common anymore. And so what the friendship requires to to stay a friendship, to stay a strong friendship, is that you both account for those differences. And I think where sometimes I get frustrated is when it's implied that it is the job of only one person to account for that. And I think like a recent example, there's an article in Healthy-ish about how to maintain friendships with a friend who has 
relatively recently had a kid, which on one hand, I think is amazing. I'm like, yes, more transparency about the mechanics of how do we stay in touch, right? Like, um, right. What schedule, food, yes. like, what do we, can I come visit you today, right now? Like, what do we do? <laughs> exactly. Like all of that stuff. But I admit to feeling kind of frustrated by this article because it does not really get at the two-way street nature of maintaining a friendship. And I understand you know, for example, having like a brand new newborn is an all-consuming activity and you are not going to be like going to casual movies with your friend like a couple nights a week or whatever. But I also think in a more big picture sense, both parties have to find a way to remain invested in a friendship for it to remain a friendship. And I, I think that this is directly related to what you were saying earlier about there being no support for parents. But I don't believe the burden of finding a way to maintain a friendship through a big change, like becoming a parent, should fall on a person who doesn't have kids. Like, I actually think that both parties need to be open about their shifting needs and they need to be able to discuss things like, oh, guess what? You know what? You are finding time to go away for the weekend. Why is that something that couldn't also involve our friendship? Or um, why is it that these discussions are framed in terms of, how do I be happy for you as opposed to how do we both learn to really ask inquisitive and questions about each other's lives? And I think like that two-way street point of view also, um, you know, to your point about releasing some shame about this, acknowledges that um, it is hard for any friendship that was formerly as close as the one this letter writer describes to overcome a big change like this. Like this is just, it is just hard stuff. It's hard. Yeah. It's, re it's really hard. And I think too that like, you know, like the feeling that I often get in a scenario like this, even if like my, you know, the person who has kids is not telling me that. It's just this overwhelming feeling of, your life, my life and my choices are not as valuable as the life and choice of people who are partnered and have children, say. And I think that that's something that like you, you know, unless someone is explicitly saying that to you, uh, which a lot of times they're not, <laughs> you should like actively be pushing back against that. But you should also be verbalizing that that is what you're pushing back against, you know, because... Again, there's so much like judgment about this stuff. Like it comes from every corner. Like it's really interesting to me that among certain kinds of people who are like us, where you you push this narrative a lot about like we're a community and we're a family and we do all these things. And it's like, well, guess what? Like families get new people in them all of the time. Sometimes they're like small babies. Sometimes they're bigger babies. <laughs> Sometimes like people get married and you get in-laws. Like, like family dynamics change. This idea that because you created a family or a community that it's not going to change is actually very absurd. You like watch that in your own life growing up. So why would we not think that? And I think that I try to err on the side of how do I like maintain my boundaries over like what makes me happy and makes me feel valued in this family unit, but also have an overabundance of generosity and welcoming the new people in our family because these people are not going anywhere. <laughs> this is how... <laughs> This is how life is, you know? And I think that you're so right about like, you know, like the newborn situation, giving people grace for when they are going through, um, you know, like a new situation, not saying that any of these things are the same, but for me, I'm just like, well, if like your friend gets injured, you make arrangements about that. What's so nuts about making arrangements for your like friends who are new parents in this like temporary, like new state of what they are supposed to be doing? And then we all recalibrate. But I think that the only way that we can do that, again, is if we acknowledge that our family is changing and our dynamics will change. 
And it's probably something that we both have to learn how to be around, right? It's frustrating all around for everyone. And it's especially sad when they're like relationships that were built on so much love. It's like, are you kidding? Like this cannot be the thing that like destroys the family. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'm honest, the small babies, if they're cute, I'm super into it, you know? But like, I love a toddler. Like watching kids like get personalities and like fully become themselves. I was like, this is truly the gift that the parent friends give you is that you get like, front row viewing of how like a human is formed and shape and it can be a lot of fun it can be a lot of fun and i'm like at the end of the day they're not your kids so you get to have all the fun and then they go home to somebody else's house that's that's a thing that i like really enjoyed but i just i just keep coming back to like you know what does it mean to just like make room and space for your relationships to change you know sometimes it's a new partner sometimes it's a new baby sometimes it's illness sometimes it's you know, like name a thing, like relationships change all the time. And this is a change that is fairly common, fairly life shifting and monumental. And we could all be more resilient to accommodating it. Totally. And I think that, you know, the flip side is also true, which is that ultimately each person gets to decide whether a friendship is something they want to continue to put their energy in. You know, if you for all the kind of sadness that's present there for both of you. I mean, I would also tell this letter writer that if you're like, I keep feeling bad about myself because I'm continuing to want to invest in this friendship and my friend for reasons of desire or ability just is not, and that's not changing anytime soon. I think it's also okay to walk away from that. You know, I think that there has to be this sense of not just both parties feel sad about it, but like also it it has to feel like both parties are working on something in order um, for it to feel worthwhile sometimes. And, um, you know, that uh, that sense of like, um, oh, it's just an inevitable downshift is is not the way it has to be. And so if you're feeling like that's not the direction you want things to go in, but that is the direction your friend wants things to go in, like that means that maybe that's an impassable crossroads that you're at. I just want to say that I mean, too, of like, you don't have to continue <laughs> to pour yourself into something that isn't giving anything back to you. Right. And it doesn't mean that you didn't try your best. And also, um, you know, relationships change. So I, um, I feel a lot of compassion for this person. And I, you know, it's like in my happiest place, I want them to both push through the thing and come to a place of uh, like where they understand each other. So I'm going to keep my fingers and my toes crossed. It's true. And I really, um, I also think that this is a skill that is going to be required of you in every friendship. Like, I mean, we're talking about it in terms of the, the kids question right now, because that's sort of on theme for this episode. But, um, you know, we've talked a lot about and like written a lot in this forthcoming book about how this kind of divide or shift in a relationship is challenging and and becoming a parent is not the only thing that can can trigger like a real change in what used to be a very stable steady friendship. So like the skills to push through this and continue to talk about it are um are like honestly life skills, <laughs> not like oh just this one period of life when all my friends are becoming parents. Like this is a lifelong friendship skill. Yeah. And I also want to give a plug for a book that I have been reading right now called uh Child Free by Choice: The Movement Redefining Family and Creating a New Age of Independence by uh, Dr. Amy Blackstone that has been like really eye-opening for me because it tackles a lot of just like mechanics and logistics and policy and whether you want children or not, this is a good book to read. Ugh. 
I love that. And I actually think like, look back to our plug for books for everything. I mean, I would encourage everyone who um, has decided that they are choosing to become a parent to check out Glynis McNichols memoir. No one tells you this, which is about, um, you know, the experience of being a woman who is like child free and loving it, loving her life. <laughs> um, and then and then also I would encourage people who are not on the path of becoming parents, or at least maybe not yet, to read things about that experience as well. Because I think a lot of what I know, both in terms of being able to feel compassion for my friend's experience, but also like meaningfully ask them questions about their lives have come from things I've read about the experience of parenting and becoming a parent. And so you know, everyone could do a little more work to be like, oh, like, what, what is the grass greener? Like, what is everyone else's experience when it comes to this, like, major question? What a great place to end. I'll see you on the internet. <laughs> I'll see you in the internet. I'll see you at the playground. I'll see you at the not playground for the people who don't have children. I'll see you in all the places. I'll see you not at my friend's one-year-old birthday party because they don't invite their adult friends because it's just for babies. What? Uh, yep. <laughs> And the best birthday parties I've been to are for one-year-olds. Everybody, it's like the parents finally let loose. I always feel bad for the kid. I'm like, this is not about you. This is about us. We have survived one year of you. I love it. Wow. I mean, I do believe in celebrating parents who have survived their first year of parenthood, but I'm like, I do that with like a nice bottle of wine that I send to them, not with my presence at their child's party. I will be honest. (laughs) Oh my goodness. We'll talk about this offline. Okay. Um, I'll see you soon, boo-boo. Bye. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf, where Sophie Carter-Khan does all of our social. Our associate producer is Jordan Bailey, and this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Thank you.